Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here again today with our friend Dick Both on another session of Back Channel with Folk. And when, then we're going to jump into our interview with Jim Burns. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. My joy, always my joy. There you are again. Here I am, and uh, Dick's being kind. I just messed that intro up, and um, so you're getting, they're getting to hear the edited version. So, Dick, I got two questions for you. Um, first question is, I have friends scattered all over the globe and struggle keeping in contact with them. How do you keep up with different friendships you have made over the years? You know, people, us, we're built in different ways. Uh, I have I have a bunch of friends, and my wife Ruth says, "You know, I I only need a couple three, mm. you know, and because certain personalities yeah. work in different ways, right? And so I I would say this in terms of keeping in contact. One is that if you pray for your friends, that keeps them in your mind. So yeah. that that and. And I don't know which end that starts on. Do I start with a friend and I pray, or I'm yeah. praying and a friend comes to mind, right? Uh, clearly, being able to pick up a cell phone and call is the easiest way. Some folks communicate by social media. If older folks are listening and you're on social media, it's Facebook. You're not yeah. on TikTok or Instagram <laughs> or whatever it is. So, so, but one of the things I started doing years ago is when I would be in the car, Okay. And I spend a fair amount of time in a car going places. And uh, if somebody comes to mind, I take that as a nudge hmm. and I'll pick up the phone and call them. You know, I'll okay. just say a quick prayer, say, Lord, remember Harry or yeah. Fred Fargo or right. whatever. And I'll call him. It's and the other end will say, this call is, You'll you'd be amazed how how key this moment is that you would call. So the the other thing is that friendship is a two way street. Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep track of what they need to be keeping track of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a two way deal. Otherwise, you spend all your life guilt ridden because you miss somebody, right? <laughs> so so I would say that not all friendships are yeah. always necessary yeah. in the sense. I, I have friends who I was very close to for a season. Okay. And we're not now, but yeah. we'd still be, if we were in the same room, we'd pick up like a high school reunion, right? Sure. So anyway, I think those would be some scattered thoughts on the idea of staying in touch with friends. That's good. That's good. Second question I have for you. Um, my children are now grown and out of the house, and I'm finding it challenging um, shifting into this new role. Any wisdom on communicating um, with my now adult children? A couple of things. So Ruth and I have four children, and I put children in quotes, four children who are all in their 50s. We have 12 grandchildren from age 32 to 7. We have three great-grandchildren, five, three, and two, and two on the way, okay? Uh, In terms of adult children, that sounds like an oxymoron, that that those two things. So this is my thought. First of all, at this point in your life, your children are more adult than children. So being willing to to let go of, they're my child, therefore I have to mother them or father them or whatever it is. Uh, I have 
have to, if I haven't already, and it's always a process, there'll always be your kids. You know, my, my when I was in D.C. in my 50s, my 90-something-year-old mother would call and say, Dick, I understand there's a storm there in Washington. Are you wearing your galoshes? Are you wearing your galoshes? Nobody says galoshes. Uh, certainly not now and even in the 1990s, but that, you know, that was right. my mom, right? So uh, they are more adult than they are children. And because of that, then, what's mo- most key is you being available, standing in the wings, but you need to be invited in. Hmm. Offering your opinion when it's not asked for is water off a duck's back. Sure. In most cases, okay? I would say the other way to adjust to your new role is to pray for your children, your adult children and grandchildren, every day by name. Hmm. And Ruth and I do that almost every day. Yeah. Sometimes we'll wake up in the morning before getting out of bed. We'll just grab hands and sure. we'll just pray and call out their names. So that's good. That's my thought. Yeah, good word. Good word. Dick, it's always a joy to hang out with you and uh, appreciate uh, your wisdom and insight. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Jim Burns on finding joy in the empty nest. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have a friend of the podcast with us back today, Jim Burns. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Aaron, great to be with you. And and uh, it's funny, you said night uh, when we're recording this. And I'm doing it in the morning. So <laughs> you're not exactly around the corner. No, no, it is uh, it is a difference. And time's about to change. And so I, you know, honestly, twice today, I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss this. So I kept thinking, did I get the time change right? And Cindy, who coordinates these for us, um, I checked back and looked at her email a few times just to make sure we were on the right time. So, yep, we're here today. Oh, here we are. It works. Yep. Jim, for those who haven't listened to the first two episodes we did together or listened to you on Focus on the Family or the other places that you share, could you just take a minute or two to share a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Well, I'm the president of Homeward, uh, but more important than that, I've been married to Kathy for 48 years. Um, Somebody said to me, Kathy doesn't look that old. You do. And I I didn't know how to take that, actually. Three daughters, three grandkids, three son-in-laws. And, and actually a grandkid to come here pretty good. Uh, hmm, congratulations. So pretty exciting uh, for that. And, uh, and then the president of Homeward, we focus on four uh, very important values, strong marriages, confident parents, empowered kids and healthy leaders. Wow. And, uh, and I actually do have a great heart for the mission field. In fact, Kathy and I, I didn't tell you, Aaron, this b- before, but we got married on May 11th because we were going to the mission field in Quito, Ecuador on June 1st. And the guy who married us, his name is Ron Klein, who was a very well-known, uh, he was the president of, of an organization called HCJB at the time. It's not called that now. He said, I don't think that's a good idea for you to be married, go on a honeymoon and, and go to Quito. We are going to stay with 25 kids in a boarding school wow. for, uh, for a while. And uh, so we've actually started some mission work, but we've never been on the mission field. Yeah. And uh, except for me to get down there quite a bit, I'm um, in different places down, I say, because primarily it's Spanish speaking because I speak Spanish. So it's wow. we go more often. 
Good deal. Good deal. Well, exciting. And uh, you're always welcome in Nairobi. And so if you ever decide okay. you want to come to Nairobi, um, you're, you're welcome for sure. It'd be great to have you. So Jim, tonight we're going to talk about finding joy in the empty nest. And um, yeah, can you just share just a little bit about the, what led you to write this book before I jump into some of the questions? Sure, sure. Well, you know, in previous podcasts, you and I have talked about doing life with your adult children. Yes. And I said, keep your mouth shut and the welcome pad out. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much describes the book. Um, but, you know, there was a there was a chapter I wanted to write on on empty nest. Hmm. And I, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger with my research. And I finally said, I'm going to take this out of that book. I'm going to write another book that kind of complements it. And so I ended up doing it. And uh, it's out now. And I'm loving having this conversation. And it's almost an oxymoron because finding joy in the empty nest. Joy in the empty nest is not what I've been hearing. Hmm. When I... Uh, started doing focus groups. Typically what I do when I write a book is I do the research, but I also do focus groups. Give me the real life. What What's going on? And somebody who helped me with the fo focus group said, do you know that in every focus group we had tears because wow. people, uh, you know, the kids left and all of a sudden they had a very quiet home yeah. and uh, they weren't even sure if they liked each other, if they were married. There's also two huge losses for single parents who are empty nesters, the loss of their child, which is really a different kind of relationship a lot of times because you don't have the the the, the spouse in, the, in there. Sure. And then also they go back to the divorce or the death or whatever it might be. So I changed the title of the book to Finding Joy because I'm convinced you can, but it hmm. takes... Um, it takes some work and it takes wow. some intentionality to make sure that, you know, you're doing it right, kind of reinventing your life. So one of the things I always say is, you know, when your kids leave the house and they have new experiences, follow their lead. <laughs> and, and a lot of people, who, the people who do that do well, the people who don't, don't. Yeah. And so empty nest, is that something that's been in the last 10 or 20 years, that idea, or is that something that's been for longer well, than that? No, I, you know, there, it's been longer than that. I mean, people have been empty nesters, obviously. Sure. Um, right. In you know, years and years ago, what happened was, you know, you were an empty nest, and then you moved in with the kids. So they got married and <laughs> you kind of jumped in. That's not the case. It is in other countries a lot of times. You know, they don't have the same empty nest experience a lot of times because the kids are in the house or whatever sure. it might be. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's contextual. Yeah. But uh, here in the United States, this is hitting a, this is hitting a core because yeah. – Typically what happens is, well, what Kathy and I happened, we we dropped our daughter Heidi off, who she's our youngest at school. We were so busy getting her ready that it didn't even dawn on us that we were going into an empty nest. Honestly, we we didn't prepare. And as we we spent a couple of days at you know, Target and Walmart and whatnot, getting her room ready and we take off and she's kind of like, okay, go on. You guys can go down. I'm like, wait. <laughs> and as we drive out, I don't think we talked for a half an hour. You know, Kathy was mm -hmm. really quiet. I was really quiet. We we're just contemplating. And all of a sudden I look over at her and she has a tear on her cheek. Yeah. And I said, wow, you, you okay, babe? And she said, yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm all right. She, what that means is I don't want to talk about it right now. And then a little later on, I said, hey, do you want to stop in Santa Barbara? Our daughter was in Central California going down to South where we live. We were driving. I said, you want to stop for lunch in Santa Barbara? Which she always does. Yeah. And I said, she said, no, I, I'm good. Let's just let's just go home. Wow. And what that said to me was Kathy was mourning hmm. this relationship of being, well, I called it, she was the sun and my three daughters were the planets. And at home, I kind of jumped in as a planet. And now- the planets are not there. Sure. And so, you know, I mean, it, 
she had to kind of reinvent herself. So I call it the empty nest syndrome, yeah. which is a psychological term, but it's a experiential, experiential term. And I didn't think I had it, Aaron. And mm. then I realized, wait, I'm going to work earlier. I'm staying later. I'm pouring things into you know, what, what I would think would be good things. But it was a way for me to, I was kind of repressing some of that sadness too. And uh, I even missed their mess. My goodness, I, I, I wrote one time, I miss their mess. I miss the towels on the floor. I miss their attitude as teenagers. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I think I did that, but I did. It was just yeah. really quiet. Yeah. And you talk, you share in the book that that emptiness syndrome sometimes can co- coincide with other life events. And yeah, um, right. could you share just a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, uh, and, and this is my own experience as well as what I hear all the time is, you know, not only do you have your kids leaving the home, but tip, typically in the empty nest, you are now thinking about uh, elderly parents and you're dealing mm-hmm. with some of the elderly parent issues. Um, it could be that you're beginning to look at at retirement, although the empty nest, fascinating, you can Google me on this, but it's it's 48 years, 0.9. So it's wow. actually pretty young. And in fact, what that means is you're looking at your life and you're going, wait, I could spend more of my life in the empty nest than I did with my kids, which is just remarkable because that's not mm. what we're ever thinking about, right? right. So, so what I found was that um, it's it's also you know you're kind of sliced in between it. You know, when we went into the empty nest and Kathy immediately started taking care of her mom, who we moved down from another part of California to where we live, and uh, so now we had. I mean, in some ways we had another another child, but who was physically needier than our kids and yeah. not as uh, not as grateful. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, oh, my gosh. So now we come home and now we're talking about, you know, the in-laws or, or whatever. And uh, so I think a lot of people experience that. Yeah, uh, they experience. So it's a sense of loss. You know, C.S. Lewis said, when you experience change, you experience loss. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think enough people in the empty nest go through the the grief honestly it's a grief process but when you do it you come back up on the other side and you go wait i can reinvent my life i have i can have different experiences i can have beautiful experiences and it doesn't mean that my kids are not going to be my kids anymore they still call me mom and dad but that's the part that i think is so key is that we've got to spend time kind of reinventing our life and and getting excited about that. And the people I think who do really well are the ones who actually lean into that and say, okay, what are we going to do now? What What's different? There are people who are going on the mission field in empty yeah. nests because they go, we've always thought about that. But yeah. now that our kids aren't needed day to day, we still want to have a relationship with our kids. We've always wanted to go to Nairobi. We, right. We've always wanted to go to South Africa. We've wanted to go all over. Yeah. Um, or people come back and I just talked to a woman last week who, uh, she has a ma- she got a master's degree at 52 in clinical psych and she's now a christian counselor awesome wow. how great yeah. is that that doesn't mean that she didn't have pain with her kids leaving but she she kind of reinvented herself others yeah. don't do it as as uh as big they don't move yeah. to nairobi they um they go to the gym and start working out or they join a bible study that they'd always been wanting to join hmm. but now they have the time to do that or they start reading more uh, I found in the empty nest, funny enough, this sounds so unspiritual, but I started reading novels. I'd never read a novel because I'm I'm a non, you know, fiction writer, right? right? I'm always reading for, you know, more and more info. You do that in the medical world, right. of course, as well. All of a sudden I picked up a novel and I went, God, this is kind of fun. And you have more time. Yeah. So I tell people, don't fill it immediately. Figure mm. out what's going to be important for that time. And so for me, it was little things. It was, you know, starting to go to the gym more. It yeah. was, uh, you know, it putting leaning. I've been in a small group for 21 years with these men, but we 
do more stuff. We actually go on a fishing trip once a year now where we didn't do that before. But when we all became empty nesters, we went, well, you know, if, as long as we get permission from our spouses, let's go do some fly fishing and, you know. Sure. Instead of doing Bible study last Tuesday, we actually talked about the fly fishing trip coming up in Montana. Oh. Well, at least we should probably pray. You know, oh, we laugh. man. But beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm my jealousy, my jealousy's rising on the uh, <laughs> trout fishing in, in Montana. So uh, anyway, for sure. So you talked a little bit about that grieving, going through that grieving process. And yeah. do you any ad- wisdom or for advice? Somebody's listening in and say, yes, that I resonate with that, that grieving process right now. And right. maybe I feel stuck in the grieving process. And I, I just don't know, know the next right. steps to take. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that have that. And I think it even affects our, our if we're married, it affects our marriages because uh, we don't really know how to handle the person who's grieving the most. You know, typically one grieves more than the other. A lot of times it's the women, to be honest. Um, well, I think that's where a couple of things. One is, and I talk about this in the book, but I talk about the importance of, of friendship. Uh, one woman said to me, "My, I didn't know I, my best friends would be uh, found after I was 50. I mean, that's a cool thought. So uh, I know what Kathy did was she started hanging out with some women. She teaches a Bible study. She's taught it for 14 years, but they also were empty nesters. And you know what? They kind of commiserated, but then they reinvented themselves sort of together. So there was one woman, especially who had already done it and she did it really well. And uh, so Kathy started spending a little bit more coffee time with her and just kind of checking out. She goes to our church and uh, she you know, the, the, well, Paul said this, you know, be imitators of me. It used to bug me that scripture, like, wait, we're supposed to be imitators of Jesus. I now get that. Of course we are supposed to follow Jesus, but sometimes it's that wiser mentor type who Mm. can help through it. And that, and that's what Kathy did. I know another uh, woman again, who said, you know what, I'm going to get some counseling. You know, the Bible says where there is no counsel, the people fall and the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So she started a zoom relationship with a counselor from a are. That's what a lot of missionaries can do. Sure. And uh, and and the counselor helped her go back through that ro- process of kind of rebooting her life and even rebooting her marriage. Because I think what mm-hmm. happens, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but a lot of marriages, you, you're so focused on the kids that, you know, you kind of bury some stuff under the mat and then you look up and you go, well, we don't have kid issues as much to talk about from day yeah. to day. We do have some because adult kids can mess up. But um, wow, who who are you? And that's why there's the graying of divorce. You know, the only demographic where divorce in the United States is happening at, at to the extent is actually at 50 and over. And that's the graying wow. of divorce because people didn't deal with it. So sometimes counseling is a really, you know, a really, really good idea. But it's, you know, I, you, you, you know, a theme in that book is, uh, you know, games are won in the second half. Yeah. So we got to put our energy into the second half and see what it's going to do, how we're going to do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's good. So second half, how do you, how do you define the second half? And yeah. maybe what are some keys of, you mentioned yeah. early about thriving, finding out what your kids going or doing and go with that. That was one I think you, yeah. you mentioned, but yeah. yeah, second half, how do you yeah. describe that? Sure. And then maybe some of the keys you think to, to thrive. Yeah, sure. sure, sure. Now, now it's funny about the second half. My, my granddaughter, Charlotte, who I just saw this morning, cause we, Kathy takes her to school and we watch on a couple of days. Um, she told me a couple of days ago that her mommy was old. And I just love that because well, your mommy's in the 30s. What do you mean she's old? So, you know, the, the second half, it, it, it's, it's all self-defined in some ways. And to me, second half was like, you know, it just kept getting later and later. I think finally in the empty nest, I had to go, wait, we're in 
the second half of our of our life. We're in the second half of our marriage. We're in the second half of our ministry, you know, and on and on. So for me, the second half just simply means that, you know, we we built a foundation in that first half. And a lot of times the first half, and I talk about this, is that it's oftentimes defined as frenetic, meaning hmm. busy, out of control, because you know, we got kids. I mean, my gosh, they're they're keeping it going and there's chaos. And you know, part of that we I ended up realizing, wait, I like that because yeah. it was energy and I liked being introduced as Rebecca's dad or Christie's yeah. dad or Heidi's dad, as opposed to, you know, at work, I'm you know, the president of the organization. Yeah. <laughs> um but when it got quiet, I went, yeah, this probably is second half. And in the second half, um, hopefully you can build upon the first. But if you didn't have a good first half, it's you, it's hard to come back. But games are won in the second half, not in the first. So second, mm. so you have a sec. Typically, you're in a second half marriage. You're in a second half uh, of the way you parent. You're in the second half with your job. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who are in the second half because they're older, especially those who are in the uh, missionary world. You know, they've become more involved in leadership and maybe yeah. they're involved working with other people. And so like for me, I, this dates me back to when I was at Princeton being the area director for mid New Jersey young life, but I was a really good kid worker, youth yeah. worker. So I'd work with kids and then they made me the area director. And I was like, wait, I don't even know how to balance my own checkbook, let alone <laughs> now I'm in charge of the whole area. And I have HR problems with people who are like, you know, two years younger than me. Cause I was, <laughs> 20 something when I was in. Well, I think that happens sometimes in the missionary world that in the second half, you go, wait, is this, do, did I, did I sign up to be an administrator? Especially, you know, I find that there are managers, this is in the book, by the way, it's just me, you know, spouting off here, but That's great. There, are and there are salespeople, salespeople. I'm a salesperson. I want to, um, I don't really sell anything, but I want to, I want to be with people. I want to hang out. So we got some managers I'm pointing as if you can see this, but we've got some managers, you know, in the office here at Homeward who do a great job. Let them be the managers. But in my second half, I had to realize that I may need to be demoted in our ministry and kind of work with somebody else so that I could still be with people, speak right, as opposed to, um, I mean, we've got a guy in here who actually loves looking at, you know, a cruel accounting. And I, I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's, we do it. So it must be a, a good thing <laughs> if you know what I mean. So yeah. I had to find in the second half, what, what gets me excited? What gets me up in the morning and excited? And obviously we have a guy here in our ministry that says, um, you know, if you love 50% of what you do, that's, that's a blessing. 25%, wow. um, you know, you kind of put up with and 25, you might even not like, but you still got to do it. I get it. That's kind of marriage in my, you know, in my mind, there's certain things, you know, that about marriage where I go, yeah, I don't love every aspect of this. I mean, I write, I speak on marriage, Kathy and I write books together. Yeah. That doesn't mean that there's that every part of marriage is easy. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's the same with what happens in the second half. But now, you know, Kathy and I are having this conversation about speaking yesterday. Um, I was telling you before the podcast that I'm speak, my next speaking engagement is in Honolulu, Hawaii. So, you know, not a bad gig. And and we were talking about speaking, and I said, you know, it took me until almost the second half to get comfortable with my style of speaking, because hmm. I always wanted to be somebody else. Well, I'll speak like Billy Graham. I'll speak like, you know, whoever I'm, you know, excited about. In the second half, you begin to get, the, if you do well, you begin to get comfortable in your own shoes, and you go, no, this is what what I was called for. I mean, it's the, you know, I mean, it's a movie from a long, long time ago, but where, you know, a, a guy and a runner said, you know, when I run, I feel God's presence. And so hmm. you know, he became a missionary 
China. But um, in in reality, what where do we feel God's presence? And that's where we lean into it. Now, that's probably a lot more than the question you asked me. But, no, you know, it's excellent. Today. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent, for sure. And um, really resonates. You know, I get to serve uh, a few leaders in the Indian Ocean Basin. We were just talking uh, yesterday about being comfortable in your own skin. And um, and I think that you talked about the the second half, trying to figure out, do I focus on strengths? Do I focus on the areas that I need to grow in and and trying to navigate all that? And um, I said, I always come back to Psalms 32. Uh, you'll guide me and direct me in the way I should go, and you'll counsel me with your loving eyes upon me. And um, in the second half, I think, looking for that guiding, guidance and direction. Hey, randomly, I read that this morning. Did you? I go through the, you know, through the Bible on a you know yearly basis, and I yeah. read that scripture this morning, yeah. underline yeah. it and put it in my journal. So yeah, good, I'm with you. Good word. Good word. So you talked about parents and then going through the empty nest um, and then maybe they're grieving. How does that impact marriage and how can, how can, you know, if you're walking through that grief process, how can they keep it from, you know, being detrimental in their marriage or if their marriage yeah. maybe is not super strong going into that. And then, right. yeah, just some thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, there, maybe the best phrase in the book is, um, you know, su- success and a life well lived is never accidental. I love that hmm. phrase. And I think when it comes to marriage, it's the same thing that, you know, we have to lean into it. So, for example, um, I asked people last weekend, would you be willing to give 1% of your week to your spouse? Well, who's who's going to go, oh, I can't give 1%. So 1%. <laughs> Come to find out is 90 minutes. Okay. And that includes sleeping and all this other stuff. So, you know, it's 90 minutes. And I said, would you be willing to, to go on a date with your spouse? Now, again, depending on where people live, a date looks differently, but a date means 90 minutes of being together. I mean, some of our best dates when our kids were little was we put them to bed early and we cuddle on the couch and ate Chinese takeout. Some people can do that depending on where they're at and, you know, in terms of where they live. Um, but it, what I was trying to say was, you know, especially in the empty nest, we we go, well, we're together all the time, but we're not focused on on that date. So when Kathy and I last week, we actually did a traditional date. We went to the movie. We went and saw Jesus Revolution, which I was a part of. That was a world in which I, I lived that world. Yeah. I was a kid who became a Christian in 1970 in Orange County. I was going to those baptisms. I was going to that church on Monday, Wednesday and Thursday. Um, you know, it was very much. I mean, I cried through most of the movie, but that was, but what I was going to say was that's a traditional date, but you can also be creative with your dates. Hmm. But what I find is that uh, research says that if you date on a weekly basis, romance is better. Hmm. So, and that romance often comes with a date. It doesn't come with after, you know, with every date, but, but even the romance side. So, you know, you begin saying, wait, okay, we're going to do the basics. It was that great theologian, Vince Lombardi of the Green Bay Packers coach. <laughs> he said, when you stray away from the basics, you you are a long ways toward defeat. Well, wow. we sometimes in our marriages stray from the basics. So sometimes we need, we've been drifting and we need a course correction. And the empty nest is a perfect place, Aaron, for us to, mm. to develop that course correction. I know a couple who uh, dropped their kid off at, at college and then they took a vacation for a week. And during that week, they, they just periodically with honestly with paper and notebooks you know what do we want the second half to look like and they began to talk about what they wanted their out of their relationship and they actually had a fight or two because you know i i I didn't think you thought that about me or whatever it might be (laughs) 
But then they rebuilt and they and they, you know, began to do things like the regular date nights. Um, I was talking with a woman a while back about one of the other reasons why I wrote the empty nest book was because I would read what what does it look like in the empty nest and they would go you know become a bird watcher well hmm. I love I, one of my best friends in the mission field his name is Paul Borthwick he's totally a bird watcher but I'm not so I, yeah. I'm like that didn't excite me yeah. but for Kathy and I we found there were some things that that were exciting for us to do yeah. Um, simple things. I mean, I write yeah. in the book about a friend of mine who's a very high profile Christian who was really struggling in marriage, calls me into it. So I go visit with he and his wife and they end up going to uh, this marriage intervention program because this was sure. not going well. And I come back after this, they do this in four days of intense, they probably spent 6,000, their ministry probably spent $6,000 on it or more maybe. And I said, well, what'd you learn? And so we, we learned we're supposed to walk together after dinner. And I go, what? That's I'm thinking some great insight of you know a depth of in my childhood has happened, and said you know we're so efficient that after dinner I wash the dishes and my wife walks the dog or she washes the dishes and I walk the dog. They said, well, why don't you walk the dog together? And yeah. we've had the best times. And they kind of wow. put their hands on each other. I went, wow, I could have told you that for free, you know. <laughs> but what I'm saying is something insightful that they hadn't thought about. Yeah. And so sometimes, you know, literally it's the small things. It's the walks for Kathy and I, it's, you know, it's going and getting coffee at Starbucks. She loves that. We, uh, yesterday we went to a place uh, and it, it has this really cool, like little cappuccino place. And she goes, I want to come back here. And so I, I honestly put it on my calendar yeah. to, to on the next time we go, we're going to go to this cappuccino place. Wow. The cappuccino is three times more expensive than I can get at the local 7-Eleven. Um, <laughs> I'm going to force myself to do that. And, yeah. and you know what? It's that. You learn yeah. that in the, you know. Yeah. So uh, you have more time with each other. Yeah. So that's that. I have a couple. One more thing. I have a couple who are just uh, moving into the empty nest, but they got in a habit by preparing early for this. Hmm. And they said, we'll continue it in the empty nest. They still have some kids at home, but they're now high school kids. But they have beverage morning and beverage evening. So they it could be chaotic at their house, but they have coffee together for 15 minutes. What are you going to yeah. do today? What should they look like? I mean, it's not romantic. It's just right. they're sitting there enjoying each other's company. And then at 15 minutes, boom, they're gone. Then at, at right after dinner, it could still be chaotic. And they have, you know, the their you know beverage i think it, right. i think they drink coffee in the morning at night i can't drink coffee in the afternoon i'd like i'd be hyper but um what a cool thing yeah. so they're gonna you know continue that in the empty nest and that's going to be really beneficial because they they already do some of this stuff right it's harder yeah. when the people aren't doing any of that when they haven't they're basically married singles because they're so busy taking care of their kids yeah I'm going to take a little 90 degree turn since you brought it up. Jesus Revolution. What you said you that was you lived it. You were part of it. The movie. Do you recommend it? It was. Is it something that? Oh, yeah, uh, you thought was true no, to the true to the story. Uh, yes, I don't remember. There were a couple of things when we got out of the movie. I said, you know, I wasn't really a hippie back then, and and the movie shows everybody looks like a hippie now. Lonnie Frisbee, who was in this movie big time, and he, I heard him speak every Wednesday for a year and a half. You know, he would preach barefoot, and he had long hair, and you know, we're you know, kind of hippie beads, and so he truly was a hippie. <laughs> and the bands looked like that back then. I guess all bands did. Sure. Um, but I don't really remember the church only doing the hippie thing. 
I mean, again, I was an athlete, so I had a buzzed hair. Right. Um, and that my my whole friend group that we started bringing that became Christian, interesting. I mean, it's a cool story. Um, they they weren't, you know, I mean, we were all a part of the, I mean, the hippie thing influenced everybody in the 1970. This was 1970. I became a Christian on February 14th, 1970. But uh, what was influential to me was two. One is, so everything, I don't know that, you know, they didn't mention, Chuck Smith had four kids. They mentioned one of his kids. Yeah. I mean, it's a movie. They right. got to take exactly. the storyline story was, the storyline, I'm going, oh my gosh, that is Pirate's Cove. They they filmed it like even I laugh because the church that we're um connected with, it had the name of the church and the pastor. And I went, I wonder what he did. So I called him up and I said, How are you involved? And he goes, Oh, they used our parking lot. So I, I thought maybe he did, you know, he was helping them, you know, teach <laughs> or you know, do something. Not today. So it was right in our area. So yeah. it was fun. That was fun. But the other thing that you know, I'm praying for, I know you would be praying for us. We're praying for a new Jesus revolution. I mean, today's sure. kids are walking from faith. I'm in family ministry. What grieves me the most about family ministry is the kids who were raised in the church, love Jesus, and they mm -hmm. get out of the home and they stray, they walk, they forfeit God, uh, God's will for their and God's purpose in their life. So is it possible that there can be a new Jesus revolution? You know, I look back and my parents probably thought, that generation of you know L the LSD world the you know the thing that hate Ashbury and hippies and all that kind of stuff that that was probably a lot like what we think about here yeah. and it didn't dawn on me because I was just growing up in that sure uh, Vietnam War so are we in a in, are we in a place worldwide by the way yeah. and see I always say that you know renewal and revival may not take place now in the United States is the lead it did in yeah. 1970 but it's very possible that where you're sitting not where I'm sitting. Yeah. Uh, the renewal and the revival is going to take place or where I'm going uh, pretty soon into Guatemala. Um, there's some renewal and revival things that are happening there that I don't really see happening yeah. as much here, but renewal and revival starts with young people. Hmm. So when you look at renewal revival or history of revival, it's young people who yeah. took a stand for Jesus and said, you know, I am going to do whatever he wants me to do. And I'm going to go whatever, wherever he wants me to go. Some of your Missionary people understand that because that's what they did. Yeah. But the fact is, is that that was happening in the 70s, you know, and, yeah. and it kind of got us. I mean, I, I have some friends who, you know, with no training whatsoever, went on the mission field and, and some of them crashed or they yeah. became a pastor and they had no training. They had no they had no I mean, they, they were they could have been doing ministry. They right. just shouldn't have taken on the leadership roles and they crashed. So, yeah. I mean, that's not a good thing. Right. But is it possible in this for this next generation I think there's some things happening here in the United States and around the world that are showing that maybe we could be entering another Jesus revolution. And that wow. would be really cool. It's going to look different, you know, yeah. than, than the last one. Exciting. Well, thanks. you. Thanks for letting me take a 90 degree turn. But we'll sure. get, <laughs> and I appreciate your insight on that. Sure. You talked that the other thing, one of the quotes that I highlighted is life is more about perspective than circumstances. Um, and, and with some reasons, this is key as we look into the second half. Yeah, right. Well, you know, one of the things I had in mind when I was thinking that, Aaron, when I wrote that, because I remember that quote, I mean, I'm not a quote, but I just remember writing that, you know, saying that, you know, when you look at at life, um, if you have the right perspective on it, then it, it doesn't matter what circumstances happen. Let's take marriage, for example. You know, when I started studying people who had a positive marriage, they had the same problems. They had the same mm -hmm. issues. It's just that their perspective was different. Right. So um, 
you know, like, for example, if you take the idea of being grateful, being thankful. So, you know, your circumstance may not change, but your attitude can change. And that makes all the difference in the world. So so they have the same issues, but they came at it from a different perspective and they didn't expect life to be perfect or they didn't expect their spouse to be different or perfect or they didn't expect their kids to be perfect or they didn't expect their ministry to be different or their job. And so I think those people do better. And so perspective is a, is a big deal. And, you know, wh- even when it comes to marriage, I think we, we make a good marriage. I don't think we do it by circumstance and chance. Hmm. So again, that, that helps us understand that, um, you know, putting our trust in the Lord and, and, and understanding that, yeah, some of the circumstances in our life aren't great, but they aren't great for, for other people too. Sure. And, and how did they make it? Well, they made yeah. it because they put energy into the healthy, positive things in their life. And that's what you can do in the empty nest. You have more time to do that. Yeah. Good deal. In focus. Rekindling mo- romance um, in the in the second half of marriage. It, yeah. I, I appreciated the chapter and, um, and your, your willingness to address this. Can you, can you share with us just some of the keys of rekindling romance in, a, in the second yeah, half? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of talk, it, it, you know, it's the same thing we've been talking about. I think when we rekindle, I have a phrase in there, that says untended fires soon become nothing but a pile of ashes. But if you mm. stir the embers, you can rekindle it. So mm. one of my points, uh, I texted with somebody about 930 last night who are struggling like crazy with their marriage. And I my only point to them, because it was a text, but basically what I was trying to say was, you know what? You had romance. It was good. You loved each other. The embers are still there. Stir those embers and do what it takes to, to bring it back. And so, I mean, that's kind of the 10,000 foot level. But then again, it goes back to some of those practical things. You know, what will it take for us to rekindle our romance? And you may have to look at some of the past. You may have to look at, you know, what's what's the blocks. In that book, I talk about uh, eight stress factors uh, that, you know, I call them passion killers. Sure. And the number one is stress and exhaustion. You know, another one is not feeling like they're getting courted or loved on or appreciated or affirmed. Um, and it goes down the list. I mean, to all the way down to the bottom that, that the plumbing isn't working. And so you got to get something, you know, worked on, go to a doctor. You know, there you go. Um, but the point being is to rekindle romance isn't as hard as it sounds. It just means leaning into it. But sometimes you have to be ruthlessly honest about you know, your own brokenness before you do that, because let's Mm. say that you uh, are in the second half now of your marriage, or frankly, I I would say very similar if it was the first half, and and you're not ruthlessly honest about past relationships, uh, broken, uh, not dealing with forgiveness, you know, maybe you were abused or whatever. If you're not willing to deal with that that issue, then, you know, it's going to only get worse in the second half. So Mm. what I'm saying is, no, now is the time to kind of clean out you know, I call it declutter. You, you would have seen that word all the time through that book. And declutter isn't just the t-shirt t-shirt drawer that Kathy said, basically warned me and said, you got three t-shirt drawers and I'm, I want it down to two within a few weeks or I'm dumping my t- t- t-shirts. I'm like, oh, your t-shirts, all, they have holes in them, Jim. They're frayed. I go, no, but they have meaning. Every t-shirt has meaning. And she goes, no, we're dumping the t-shirt. So that not that declutter and the garage that for me that needs decluttering, it's more decluttering our life so that we can actually put some energy into the into the romance uh, thing. You know, it's funny, uh, Kathy and I. Uh, this was a, a conversation with us. You know, busy, 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 and and 
you know, we, when we've had a good marriage, we have a what we call a high maintenance marriage. High maintenance means you got to work at it. Yeah. And um, so we've constantly had to work on it. But there were a couple things that I didn't know. Um, I said to Kathy in this season, um, in terms of the romance, what would you like to to see differently? Is there anything, you know, and, and that's a hard question because you don't, you're afraid sure. that she's going to go, you are the worst romance person I've ever seen. And, you know, I should have never married you. And, you know, there's somebody better out there or something. But she did. She gave me a couple of suggestions that would be important to her. None of them had to do with like the technique of sex, to be honest. Yeah. It was much more on what I could do to treat her better, how I could handle that. Well, you know what? They were kind of easy. I, I, I mm. wanted to kind of go, that's it? Yeah. But I would say making that course correction by me just simply saying that. I mean, I played basketball in high school and the coach always said, we're going to run a play to find out if there's zone or man to man. I'm totally mm. killing it if people don't play basketball on your podcast here. No, no, no. But it's good. Man to man. I said, well, why don't we just ask them? <laughs> you know, so I'm a, I'm a smart aleck. And he goes, we'll run the play. So I go up, shake hands. We're going to you know, do the big tip off. And I said, Hey, do you guys run a zone or a man to man? And then they would tell me I, we, we do man to man. And then I would go, one was one to, was, I was the point guard. One was man to man to his zone. So then we knew what they, they had. And so I would go like this and he would go, how do you know that? You know, <laughs> well, I knew that because I asked him, well, a lot of times when it comes to, to marriage things, romance is so hard. I mean, again, I, I, I mean, you may know this or may not, but I write books for kids on sexuality, uh, healthy mm. biblical sexuality, and they're neat books. I mean, they're books for like three to five year olds. God made okay. your body. It's that kind right. of thing. So, so what happens with that is I'll ask people, how many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education when you were growing up? People, you know, yeah. your age, people right. my age, parent and parents right. of any age. Um, I was in a place within the last month, I can't remember now how many people, there's probably 600 people. And I said, how many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education? One person. Hmm. Okay. And I love because the pastor's kids were in the audience as adults, their yeah. emptiness and uh, their kids didn't raise their hands. So I so badly <laughs> wanted to go, Oh, well, your pastor didn't do so good either. I didn't, <laughs> but all research says that the more positive value centered sex education kids receive from home with their parents, the, 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 uh, well, the, the better they do, they're less promiscuous and less confused. Hmm. Now take that to the marriage. So if our parents never talked to us and it was one, it was a taboo subject, then again, we don't sometimes have the ability to have those conversations with our own spouse. Sure. And so we go years without ha having that intimate talk. I mean, intimacy means connection. And so to talk about our sexuality is really hard for a lot of us. Yeah. And neither Kathy or I had our parents do that. So we've right. had to learn to be able to have those conversations. And uh, and it's awkward. I mean, I you know, there are times when it's been awkward for us to have that conversation because it just doesn't – should Christians be able to talk like that? Well, yeah, we should. Right. We're not talking about the porn issues and all this other. We should talk about our own intimacy yeah. and what that means. You know, when Jesus said uh, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He was not talking about just a spiritual union. He mm. was talking about a physical union. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the word you know, united actually in, in Greek, it's probably closer to bonded. So, you know, it's a bonding experience. So if this bonding experience is so key, why are we not talking about it? Yeah. So word. I think that's what you do to rekindle yeah. and, and, and do the practical work that it needs 
like, you know, going on dates and and being more romantic. Uh, you know, one last thing, I don't think it's in the book, but I'm thinking about it because, again, I'm going to Hawaii this week. And I was speaking at a conference in Hawaii, well-known pastor, pastor that many of your people would know, one of the mega churches in America, good friend of mine. And I come down to breakfast one morning and Kathy's still upstairs. She's going to eat yogurt. And I'm down hanging out and, and he and his wife invite me to breakfast. So I have breakfast and she says, Hey, I'm going to your workshop on uh, teaching your children, healthy sexuality. They have five kids. And uh, she goes, you know, we have sex every Wednesday night. And he just looks at me like I, and then he looks at his wife. Like, I can't believe you just told Jim that, you know, we have sex uh, Wednesday night. Why? And she goes, well, it wasn't working for us. So we just schedule it. Yeah. And she goes, and then she talks about anything. So she goes, amazing. You know, we have candles. We took the computer stuff out of the bedroom and it's been wonderful. Yeah. And he's just shaking his head, you know, but when we really got down to it, they said, since it wasn't working, what's wrong with scheduling? Sure. And and they, and I said to him later, I said, Hey, what's that? Is it weird? Was it weird? You go, okay, it's Wednesday. He goes, you know, it was weird the first time. Not really weird, but great. We're married, you know. I don't know. Yeah. He goes, now I look for Wednesday nights like my favorite night, sure. and yeah. I go, don't you teach on Wednesday nights? He goes, yeah. My wife always sits with me and goes. And they have two thousand people at a Bible study on Wednesday nights, right? And I said, I said, she sits next to you, yeah. And she always goes, don't be long on this sermon. It's <laughs> <laughs> but see what I'm saying is. They feel comfortable about their sexuality and they they're doing what it takes for them yeah. to enhance. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell people, read a book on it. You know, I yeah. mean, read they're wonderful Christian books there today sure. that, you know, are like you're going, wow, this is Christian. This is great. But you yeah. know, God is honored, but it's also talking about yeah. the power and the beauty of, of intimacy. For sure. One last question for you. Um, you mentioned earlier in the podcast about when, if you're a single parent and um and yeah. this this transition this empty nest can look different any do you have some words of wisdom and advice for for yeah. a single parent that's listening in that that they're going through this transition yeah. yeah yeah for one thing there are millions of single parents and when you start looking at books they're all about empty nest in the you know marriage and uh i don't know why that is the case but i i actually think some of the people who are doing really well are the people who are the empty nest single parents, A, they recognize those two huge things that I talked about. They had a different relationship with their kids because they didn't have their spouse. But when they go into the empty nest, they don't have a spouse to lean on. So, you know, Kathy leaned on me, I leaned on her, but but when you're empty, you don't. So what do you do? You need replenishing relationships. And I would say that the people who did the best were the single people who did the best who I talked to were the ones who actually really leaned into good friendships, healthy friendships. Hmm. They weren't people who were going to do the rebound and go try to find a mate now because that was going to fulfill them. Those are people who are pretty, who ended up, you know, telling me their stories and it wasn't always a good story, but I would say friendships. And then I would also say that these are people who got involved in, in more serving and they recognized that they had to reinvent their relationship with their adult children. So, uh, one woman, uh, every Sunday night, house is open. She doesn't put a big thing on it, but her uh, daughter and son-in-law and kids come almost every Sunday because there's fun food and she puts some time and energy into it. And they're like, wow, yeah. this is great. They may stay for 45 minutes and they may stay for two and a half hours. And the same woman has a daughter who's about four hours away. And once a month, she drives to the daughter and they have kind of, she calls it uh, retail therapy. You know, they'll go shopping or they'll go out sure. to dinner or they'll do something fun. Um, and then she oftentimes will stay there or she'll honestly, she said there's been times when she's driven back. That'd be a tough for me. I, I don't want to drive eight hours for that, right. but 
she says, as long as her daughter gives her permission to do that, she's going to do that. Yeah. So yeah, that that's a, that's, that's, you know, the kind of that you still want the relationship, obviously with your kids, it's just going to look differently. Yeah. So it's the people who leaned into it, the people. And then I find that a lot of those people, like many of them mentioned, I was talking to a lot of Christians, but they would say, yeah, I, you know, I got involved in a small group, uh, that I had not been involved in before. And we have coffee every week or we go to dinner. One right. lady said they did ta- a single crowd did taco Tuesdays. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Do that. Do they have taco Tuesdays in Nairobi, by the way? Um, you know, they might, I don't know. We don't go out too much at night because there's too, there's too much yeah. craziness that goes on at night, but they might. Sure. Uh, no, exactly. we have, yeah. But uh, we do uh single de Mayo. We celebrate that. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is, you know, the, in the mission field as, and I'm not the expert, you are, but in the mission field, it's even some of the stuff we're talking about, we have to translate yeah. what a American writer, any anything on practical family issues, we have to kind of like take it and just like you translate a book, if, you know, my books that are in other, I think I have 20 languages, my books are in 20 languages. Well, they, they're obviously putting into context and changing all that. Yeah. Well, it's the same with somebody who's on the mission field. You know, I say, yeah, Taco Tuesday is great. And they're going, we're not doing Taco Tuesday. I'll just tell you that much right now. Okay. Yeah. So what is your form of that? Yeah. It doesn't have to be the same, but sure. it's the, it's in your mind, instead of throwing the idea away, going, well, what are we going to do every yeah. Tuesday that's going to be fun for the family or whatever? Yeah. 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 I think the the idea of this empty nest, in my experience, living on the mission field, your families are a lot closer unit. And um, probably that grieving of people, not that families in the United States are not close, but you end up being pretty tight as a family unit, because when you're living in a different culture, you bond together, you know what I mean? And um, so it's a grieving, honestly, we've seen in our family, not just um, for Heather and I as our daughter, Isabel transition, but then, you know, our son, your, your children grieve the relationships that, that is the the children move on so it's it's on multiple levels and it's because of that tight tight bond which we're yeah. we're thankful for for sure so yeah you know i i have a very good friend who's here in our area and they, they were on the mission field in quito ecuador doing mm-hmm. our ministry in quito and she went back kind of an empty nest story and got her uh masters in in psychology too different than the illustration i gave earlier in the podcast and she spends a lot of her time talking with missionaries because they again they were missionaries for most of their marriage. Um, but now that they're here, they she spends most of her time talking about to the missionaries about how do they do it? Because all three of their kids came to the United States for college. Yeah. And uh, so now they're, you know, and and the mission community a lot of times has a different kind of a relationship yeah. too, friendships and things like sure. that, very tight. But she talks about how do you do that when your kids are, you know, not, you know, four hours away. Yeah. They're they're a flight that is, yeah. you know, nine hours to yeah. 13 hours to 15 hours or whatever. Yeah. And you can't, you know, financially, you just can't do that. Sure. So how do you how do you do that? And mm-hmm. it's great to say, you know, it's so Zoom and all that. It still doesn't make the face to face need and knee laughing together and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's for sure. Jim, it's always an honor to have spend time with you and have you on the podcast. Will you pray for us today? Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for Aaron. Thank you for the way you use him. Thank you for this podcast. May it be a a help, a practical help, and may you receive the glory. And Lord, help us if we are struggling with the empty nest or for preparing for the empty nest, help us to be people who really can lean on you and lean on your strength and wisdom and power and comfort, uh, as well as your counsel. And Lord, I pray for all the people listening to this podcast that 
um, your name would reign glorious and that you would uh, you would be very close to them, especially the ones who might be hurting through this process. Come alongside and give them the comfort that you uh, promise us in your scripture. We love you and we commit our lives to you afresh and anew in a different uh, phase of life. Amen. Amen.